want you to join me in the book of Nehemiah, and we are in chapter 10. We are in a message that was going to be one week, and it's, this is the third week in this same message. So I'm really hoping I can wrap it up today. If I can't, I have problems. But glad, glad to see you here. I'm so anxious for us to have our luncheon together, and please stay for that. And then we will have our vision service start about noon. We're going to be kind of quick about it today because we want to have the main thing be the main thing. And the main thing in a Lord's Supper service is the Lord Jesus Christ, focusing on Him. I want to share with you this last principle. We talked about the covenant that they made. Nehemiah, led of God, led a charge in 52 days to rebuild a wall around Jerusalem. We found out that it wasn't about the wall, that it's all about God, God's people having a place of safety and that they could re-inhabit and come back to and that God was reviving a nation there in Jerusalem and they started worshiping God. They started listening to the word of God for five, six hours a day and for probably a couple of generations they had not heard the word of God. So it was amazing to them, those first five books, the Pentateuch, that they listened to. They were praying for another third of the day. We know for about 12 hours, for many, many days, they did this. And at the end of that time, they concluded that they needed to do some things that would help them stay on track spiritually as a people. And they decided that that would be a covenant. And to make a covenant that they would write and put four emphases in that covenant. And those emphases, if you remember, and this is background for those of you who may have not been here these other days, but one was that they would not only hear the word of God, but they would be keepers of the word, the law, that they would be people that would live out the word of God. Second of all, they talked about not giving their sons and daughters to other people of other religions, that they would just not do that anymore. Why? So that the worship of Yahweh God could be pure, that they could worship the true living God and that they would pass that on to their children. Third, we talked about last week that it's about rest, that they would honor the Sabbath. And we talked about some of the things that translate from the Sabbath over to the Lord's Day. And today we talk about the fourth thing that they spoke about. Now you have to remember that not only was Jerusalem in disrepair, the wall had been torn down. All these decades it had been like that. But also the temple, you can go to the book of Ezra and read about the reviving of the temple of God. And it was inconsistent, there was starting and stopping of worship there. But when they were redoing some of that work there, they found a copy of the law. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of contemporaries in the story historically and they just have a lot to offer us. But we know that one of the things they had come to the conclusion about is that they had allowed God's house to get into a place of disrepair, that they needed to constantly look at that and take care of that. So you'll see some language in this passage. Now, Jesus said something that I want to call your attention to since we're focusing on Jesus. I'm going to start with Jesus, and I'm going to end with Jesus today since we're having the Lord's table. I want to share with you that Jesus, there's a beatitude that isn't in the Gospels. And maybe you know it, maybe you don't. It's found in the book of Acts, and it was obviously something that was commonly known in their day because Paul says, you know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said. 
that it's better to give than to receive. And I'm going to be careful how I word this next thing. In the last service, I didn't have to be careful about this, but I need to be careful right now. If you've ever lived as a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle on a Christmas morning, you know it's better to give than to receive, don't you? Don't you? And that's all I'm going to say that's code to the big kids in here, all right? That's all I'll say. Uh, It is better to give than to receive, isn't it? And I sure have seen that lived out. I can remember being in uh, college, and, you know, most people were kind of poor in college, and I was playing football, so I didn't have time to to work a job. And uh, I was, uh, you know, money was thin. And I can remember some anonymous gifts being found in my mailbox. And uh, it wasn't from the football coaches or anything. It was just from other people that were, were caring about you, and they knew you had a need. I remember one time it was a little car repair and I needed, and one time it was gas to go home on, and uh, I got an anonymous gift, and we've gotten into that. Uh, Kim and I have done that a few times along the way. It's kind of fun to do that, isn't it, where nobody knows. It's just uh, because it just leaves you in a place for God to bless you for that, isn't it? So in that passage, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says, In everything I did... Paul says, I showed you that this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Father, we're going to spend some time talking about giving, and I know sometimes that makes people just kind of like, ah, turn off day. But I pray that, Father, we won't do that, because you've, you've created us to be givers. Help us to realize that today, and even hear these words, and digest that in our own heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage from verse 32 down to verse 39, you're going to see literally this pledge about the house of God in this covenant that they signed. And it's there nine times in seven verses. Nine times they talk about the house of God. The house of God, the temple, had so many different meanings for the life of Israel, for them spiritually. And I want to talk to you about that for a little bit this morning. In verse 39, it's summed up by saying that their commitment was this, we will not neglect the house of our God. Now, when the the, uh, people of Israel had fallen away and they had been in captivity, we know that that was an end result, that the, the, the temple was left in just dire straits. It wasn't taken care of. And we know that there was all types of systems in in the life of Israel to support all the different ministries that they were involved in. But he says we will not support or neglect the house of God. Now, we have all kinds of things here in our church, don't we, that are part of what we do together in seeing God's work go forward. We don't just pay pastors salaries and such. We have ministry that need dollars for their areas of service We have a building that has lights and air conditioning, and boy, does it have air conditioning. We have uh, basically replaced the entire preschool area this year because the building's almost 20 years old, and those that work with air conditioning tell us that we should expect more. Isn't that nice to hear? We've got a building that's almost 20 years old, so we know that there's going to be those kinds of maintenance and repairs to keep things going. 
much like they decided they would not neglect the house of God, this is going to be a big priority. We should make it one as well, that we won't neglect that. And there's all kinds of things that are here. But I want to give you seven insights that I think we can take from this passage about our responsibility to be givers. Now, in the passage it says, if you look at verse 32 and then again in verse 35, it says that the people, they assumed this responsibility. What responsibility? to make sure that the house of God and the offerings were not neglected, that they would be faithful in this regard. It was everyone's responsibility. It was also a matter of obedience. They didn't just practice an impulsive giving, but if you look at verse 32, if you look at verse 34, and you look at verse 36, it tells us what? It says in that passage these words, that this is the written law that God has designed us to be supporters and givers of uh, the work that he has us be a part of. Everyone gave systematically. Look at this. In verse 32, it tells us that there was a third of silver shekels that were brought each year. In verse 34, it tells us about how they, uh, w- this would be determined by, for each family, the size of the family and what type of income they had. But they would bring wood for fire at the temple for sacrifices, and they would be the ones that would contribute the wood. See, the priests didn't go and gather wood. The people did and made that as part of their offerings and gifts. Uh, if you read on, it talks about the system that they followed. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, here we've been comparing this covenant and seeing if it translates to, last week we talked about rest, the Sabbath, and what, some of the things that translate to the Lord's Day. Here we're talking about what? We're talking about does giving translate from the Old Testament to the New? And the answer is yes, it does. And look at this. It says on 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, it says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Now, that's a message for all of us, that all of us as part of the body of Christ should be givers, Right? And it should be a portion of your income. Now, I want to tell you something. You can go to the book of uh, Malachi chapter 3, and also there's other places in the New Testament I'm going to make some references to in a second. When I was um, 15 years old, my dad, and I think I told this one one time last year, but it, it bears repeating. It was a shocking thing to me that day. I had been working a little side job. I played football on Friday nights like most, most kids that are involved in athletics, and I would play. And then Saturday morning, I had worked out this deal with this guy that owned several apartment buildings, and I mean these were old apartment buildings. And things, he's up in his 70s, and the things that he didn't want to do, he said, I will pay you well, and I will teach you about how to, how to fix a home, how to do roofing. How to do, uh, I remember one of my favorite ones was when he had a sewage pipe bust, and I got to be the one that dug all that out under the apartment. Boy, I smelled great Saturday and Sunday for for, uh, several weeks there. But I can tell you, I got some dirty jobs, and I learned how to do roofing and some minor carpenter uh, repairs, but he paid me pretty well, and I would just work on Saturday. So I get my check. Now, I have just accepted Jesus Christ in that August, month of August, I had just made Christ Lord and Savior in my life, and I was getting baptized that weekend on Sunday. I got a paycheck. My paycheck was $77.60, and don't you laugh. 
because back then that was some pretty good money, $77.60. Now, my dad says something to me, and I was kind of amazed. He said, would you like to go to the bank and cash your check after you get off work? And I said, Dad, I sure would like to go to the bank. So we drove in his pickup truck and went down to the branch bank there in our little hometown, and we stopped, and he did something that I didn't understand what he was doing, but he had an envelope in his pocket. He had a shirt with a pocket here, and he had a, it was, had an envelope. I had no clue what that was while this was going on, but he told the teller at the window, he said, hey, this check, uh, he just signed it. You witnessed that. Uh, he wants it back in cash, but give me $7.76 back in one envelope and then give the other amount, the rest of it, to him. For him, I'll pass it over to him. I'm thinking, hmm. The money comes back. He takes the envelope out and takes that $7.76 and puts it in that envelope. I'm thinking, hmm. I must owe him for an eight-track tape. <laughs> the kids are going, what's that? What's that? Maybe I owe him for an album. Maybe I owe, you know, because that was about what it, what it cost, unless it was a big double album or something back in the day. I thought, well, I owe him for something like that. And then I, I'm driving back, and I'm kind of bugged because now I'm a little bit, you know, like around 70 bucks, and I'm thinking, that's my money. And he says, he just looks over and he's grinning at me. And I said, what, what do you got in your pocket? Why would you take that money? He pulls it out. It's my offering envelope for Sunday. And he says, this is your offering for tomorrow. And I said, what happened to that deal we had where you'd give me a dollar every week? I stuck it in the envelope and I'd check whether I was giving and going to church and all that. Anybody remember the little envelopes that you do that stuff? And I, and I remember, I, and I said, I like that deal. You, you pass on a little giving to me and I pass it on to the church. It's a dollar. I mean, that's, I mean they surely don't need all that money. I was one of those. What are they doing with that money? So my dad starts telling me why we give to the church. And he started talking to me about tithing, to give 10% of my income to the church, and here's why. And he started talking to me about it. I'm a 15-year-old kid. Now, now, I want to obey the Bible. And he said, this is one of the things you've got, you know, you need to learn. You are going to be a steward of everything God gives you the rest of your life. And he gave me this lesson all the way home, quoted several passages. We got back to the house, and then there was another 30-minute study there at the house. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I need to give at least 10% of my income to uh, the church. And I said, good, good, okay, I'm, I got it. I'm with you. I'll start doing that. And I'm going to tell you something. I've done that in Kemah, and we've taught that to our children because when God starts talking in Malachi about test me and try me in this and see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you will not be able to contain it, when God talks like that, I'm in. I'm in that line right there. I want to be blessed like that, don't you? 
And then I started reading, and, and I've, got, I've had all kinds of conversations as a pastor with people about this. They'll say, well, the New Testament teaches giving. And I'm like, yeah. Do you know that when it talks about giving, it talks about giving all? So what sounds better to you, 10% or 100%? And then they were like, well, I don't mean that. I'm talking about giving, you know, giving. Listen, a lot of times that's some justification for not wanting to meet, meet a certain standard there. But the tithe is a very practical way that the church, the Old Testament, supported the work of God and the priest and all that they were doing. And the tithe is also a very practical thing. I believe, personally, that Matthew 23, 23, Jesus actually confirms the tithe to continue that. He starts talking about the weighty things, the things that matter most. And then he says, but continue these things such as tithing. And it's uh, not a, a, an abolishment of it. It's a, a supporting statement that's there in Matthew 23. 23, check it out. Look at it. I'm not on that topic per se fully today, but I will tell you this. They gave proportionately just like the wood. Poorer families didn't have to give as much. Larger families didn't have to give as much. They would, they would, that was uh, regulated, but they would bring that wood there. There was all kinds of flower offerings, milk goats, lambs, I mean, the list goes on and on. You can go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 5, verse 11, and it talks about them bringing fine flour as an offering uh, in that passage. There's just so many things that were offerings in the Old Testament that God had the people that were the people of Israel, the people that were those worshiping Yahweh God to do just that. They were giving sacrificially. If you look at it, it tells us in verse 35 that they would bring their first fruits of their crops in every fruit tree. So they would bring the first fruits, the first uh, vegetables, first fruits that were, were part of their crops. They would bring those as offerings to the house of the Lord. And there's all kinds of offerings that took place. Someone said a long time ago that it's not equal giving but equal sacrifice. I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, if you give what you do not need, it isn't giving yet. You'll think about that. I want to tell you something. If you give, if you give, if you give what you do not need, it isn't giving yet. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I love it's kind of a sarcastic statement and a little bit of a little humor. He said, I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than you can spare. And you'll get that later on. But God does call us to be generous, doesn't he, as givers. And I know it takes a lot to live. It takes a lot to have a house or an apartment and those things. And there's all kinds of bills. And God understands all that. God is asking for proportionate giving. What you make, that you're a giver, and that that's in proportion to who you are. Now, I still, uh, we we love not just tithing, but we love giving above that. You know why? Because that's where I really think giving starts for us in the church. The tithe is a great place to start. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this, Your treasure, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If I invest myself in the kingdom of heaven more than I invest myself everywhere else, my treasure will be there. And it cannot be taken away by a hailstorm or a car wreck or a tornado or a flood. It's all secure in the kingdom of God. Nobody can take that away. It's, it's been deposited as you are giving that as an investment. You follow me? It's just a neat, neat thing. 
So let me share with you 10 reasons that are very faithful to tell us why we should be givers. One, it's a tried and true pattern of giving found in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 7, down to verse 15. It will help you revere God more in your life. Look up Deuteronomy 14, 23. I don't think I have these popping up for you, so you'll have to write them down. It will help you harness the dragon of materialism. Have you noticed that when you kept up with the Joneses, they get a bigger TV? Have you noticed that? You know, you try to play that game and you try to get the house and the car and the furniture and the, the, the TVs and all the rest. And as soon as you get where you're bigger than them, they get a pay raise and pass you up again. It's a vicious game. It really is. Don't play. It's not worth playing. I'm so proud. Yesterday I was talking to a couple in our church and they went through our finance class. Uh, back months ago and this and this is you know I'm not telling who they are and, and they just got out of debt and they're celebrating and I could tell they were fired up I could tell you know why because see they're getting free from that 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 demon of debt and it will make you a prisoner it really will if you haven't learned that yet learn it and get out of debt because, listen, when you're financially free, it's so empowering. It really is. Uh, listen to this. It will also help you as a practical reminder that God's the owner of all things. If you're giving to God and you're giving of your time to God, not just giving of what he gives you money uh, as money, but he's, you're giving, you're going to acknowledge his ownership in your life when you give back your time and you give back of what he's given to you. It will allow you to experience God's provision in incredible ways. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he talks about when you give it. Uh, that's an amazing passage. Look that one up. It will encourage you to trust God, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It will ensure your treasure is in heaven. It will also strengthen your ministry and outreach in your local church. Did you know that if everybody gave, we could do a math equation. Listen to this. This is amazing. We could put people at just a little bit above minimum wage, and if everybody that was a member that had a job gave a tithe of that, do you know the budget would be like double, triple what it is right now? I want you to think about that. If people just gave a little more than just a minimum wage salary that have jobs, I mean, you, these are little equations we can do and we kind of see, wow, if we just had that many folks that would give that level of giving of 10% and be faithful in that, we'd have two or three times the budget we have now. Isn't that amazing? You're like, well, I want to see the math equation. I'm from Missouri, and I'll, I'll show it to you after we, uh, we, we, uh, I've looked at it many times. It will ensure that your treasure's in heaven. It will strengthen ministry and outreach in the local church. It will, number nine, it will support uh, church ministry and missionary endeavor around the world, taking the gospel of Jesus around the world, and it will help accomplish needed building projects. We just replaced those AC units or those compressors, the whole thing in the preschool wing. You know, the building's getting a little aged. Last year we replaced 18 of the windows out here in the foyer. Have you noticed that two of them are starting to fog up? I'm like, the devil did that. I have no doubt. And we spent about 20 grand fixing that. 
And uh, so these things, you know, with a building this size, things cost a lot. So we need to be faithful in that regard so that we can do the things that we need to do together. I want to share with you just one last thought, and that's this. Jesus, Jesus gave everything. His entire life was about a gift. And the gift was that not only would he live for us, not only would he live for God the Father, but then he would come to the end of his life and he would die for you. That's how phenomenally, incredibly, in love God is with you. That he would give his one and only son. And the amazing thing in the book of Isaiah, it says it pleased God to bruise him. Not because God's sadistic, but because that was the only way God could get you back and have a relationship with you. The Bible tells us Jesus died for us on that third day and then he rose again. Today, when we come to the Lord's table, that's exactly what we're doing together. We're going to offer communion in just a moment, but before we even do that, we're going to extend an invitation. If you would like to come and pray at the altar, maybe there's some things you just need to unload and say, Lord, I, I just want to be right with you as we take the Lord's table, as we have if I have communion with you today, I want to just search my own heart today. Let's pray together. Father, just do a work in this service. We ask that you would move in our hearts to help us respond to you. Lord, you're worthy of all we've got, not just part, part of what we have. But Lord, you're so generous to us. You let us do all these things in our life. You let us spend monies in all kinds of ways. And Father, you tell us just to honor you in our time of service, our gifts, not just our gifts as in money, but Lord, our gifts as in what you've invested in our lives, to use that for your service and ministry. Help us to be givers, Lord, like the Lord Jesus did. He gave all to us, and we're here today because we love him. We're so thankful for him. Help us to give back today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.